Hello and welcome to edition 1862 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney, and we are very glad to be back. It's Thursday the 6th of May. I'm Nigel James and I edited this edition. Beside me at the recording controls we have Rob, Rob Oxpring, and this week we have items from the Whitney Gazette and the Hanborough Herald. Our readers this evening are Mick Walsh and Tessa Caddy. So let's have our first stories, both of which come from Bryce Norton. The first headline reads, Falcons devise 60th birthday aerial display. RAF parachutists have learned a new display to celebrate their 60th anniversary this year. The RAF Falcons at Bryce Norton have been learning the complex routine which is split into several segments. It begins with a snake formation. Before the team starts the split and crossover elements of the display, the team splits into two sections before turning and heading straight towards each other at speeds of up to 45 miles an hour. The Falcons then take part in the carousel and sabre chase segments of the display. Flight Sergeant James Bruce said, For the 2021 season, we decided to change the display format in recognition of our 60th anniversary and to demonstrate the ever-changing skill sets required for military parachuting. This dynamic routine showcases what can be accomplished when we work as a team and trust that each member will pilot their canopy with the precision the RAF Falcons are famous for. The team was formed in 1961 by six instructors from the Parachute Training School, formerly based at RAF Abingdon. Flight Lieutenant Chris Wilts, Officer Commanding RAF Falcon, said, The famous canopy stack formation we have been performing since the 1970s will continue to be displayed by us, but we now also have the 60th anniversary display. Second headline, Marquee blows onto sports pavilion during high winds. A marquee at a cricket pavilion was blown upside down onto a building during high winds. The incident happened at Bryce Norton Social and Sports Club at about 2pm on Bank Holiday Monday. Fire crews from Whitney, Bampton and Oxford were called to the scene and, using an aerial appliance, managed to get the marquee down. The fire service urged people to make sure all gazebos and marquees are taken down to avoid damage when there are high winds. Oxfordshire experienced high winds at the start of the week with speeds reaching 46 miles an hour at 7pm on Monday. A yellow weather warning was still in place for wind on Tuesday. Firefighters were also called to a tree fire at Badbury Woods in Farringdon after someone discovered the blaze while on a walk. Crews from Farringdon and Carterton stations attended the scene and used a tank of water and cutting gear to stop the smouldering spreading to other areas. The blaze is believed to have started from a campfire which was left unattended. The fire service said on Facebook, Please think of the consequences on what campfires do to the environment, especially in wooded areas. Pubs and restaurants will soon be welcoming back customers indoors, but it can't come soon enough for some businesses. Landlords in West Oxfordshire have raised concerns after a court case ruled pubs cannot reopen indoors sooner than the government's already proposed date. The High Court ruled pubs still cannot reopen for inside drinking and dining until May 17th. Hospitality bosses had hoped that a date could have been brought forward in order to support pubs and restaurants. The outcome of the case came at a time when blustery weather conditions impacted the spaces landlords had created for outdoor drinking, putting off customers from venturing out. Steve Thompson, the landlord at the Angel Inn, Whitney, said, We've been following the court case closely and hoped a bit of sense might come out of it. When you think you can go to the gymnasium and have your mask off, panting, it feels like we've been demonised almost. We've proven 
in the other lockdowns that we know what we're doing. While the case did not provide the result the hospitality industry sought, Mr Thompson said the Market Square pub has still seen a positive first three weeks since reopening on April 12th. He said, It's been very good. I've been amazed at how resilient the great British public has been. Considering there was half an inch of snow on the first morning we could reopen, it's been quite busy since. Meanwhile, Dane Knight, landlord at the Lord Kitchener in Kerbridge, said he felt the hospitality sector needed more support. He said, The government has given funds, which we're very grateful for, but we needed more representation. After all, we're the people that employ the staff in what is supposedly the third biggest industry in England. Most pubs are very safe places and I'm as frustrated as all the other landlords are. He added, Our customers are here to dine and drink and in Scotland they're letting people eat in the pub but drink outside. Here you can't do that. He said, It's been interesting so far. Everything is so different and unpredictable. Our regulars are coming in for drinks and the first week was great. Then the second one, it went down a bit but the third week was a disaster with the weather. Sam Jenkins, the operations manager at the Horseshoes in Corn Street, Whitney, said the court case was disappointing, but noted that pubs continued to have a public health responsibility. We've gone above and beyond to make sure everything is safe. It's disappointing, but we understand our responsibilities, he said. However, Mr Jenkins said business in the last three weeks had gone well. On the whole, it has been very positive, with a lot of support from the town and community, including faces we've never seen before, which is really good. Bookings have been really promising, and, pretty, and we've been pretty sold out for weekends. The next step is to get back open indoors, which is what we do best. This headline reads, Government Inspector in at Garden Village. A government inspector has been appointed to help oversee development at a garden village. Darren McCreary has been appointed to oversee key areas of planning at the Salt Cross Garden Village near Ensham. Mr McCreary has been appointed by Housing Secretary Robert Jenrick to chair hearings on the Area Action Plan, AAP in brackets. The hearings will officially begin on June the 28th and run for two weeks, after which Mr McCreary will decide whether to give the plan the green light. Chris Hargreaves, Planning Policy Manager at West Oxfordshire District Council, said this is an extremely important part of the process of developing Salt Cross. It has taken three years to get to this point, but we are delighted to welcome Mr McCreary and look forward to the hearings and receiving his feedback. Mr McCreary will consider a range of issues, including whether current and future housing needs are being met, transport infrastructure, potential net zero carbon development and policies surrounding the Salt Cross Science and Technology Park. Once adopted, the plan will become statutory. It will be used alongside the local plan and Ensham neighbourhood plan to determine future proposals at Salt Cross. Work on the plan began in 2018 with partners, including community representatives, property business, Grosvenor, WODC and Oxfordshire County Council involved in meetings, events, consultations and activities to listen to ideas from a wide range of interests. Salt Crossed will include 2,200 homes, new primary and secondary schools, sports facilities, parks and an employment park, which is designed to attract advanced manufacturing businesses. Five News in Brief articles from the Whitney Gazette. The first is about an election candidate's climate protest. A candidate in this week's local elections from a new political party was staging a protest at the weekend. Dave Baldwin, who's standing for both county and West Oxfordshire District Council seats for the Burning Pink Party, announced his intention to sit in the middle of an Oxford city centre road on Saturday in protest against the council's complete lack of leadership on the climate crisis. 
He added, I'm willing to be arrested to make a difference to our local environment. Every council has declared a climate emergency, but none has taken any serious action to tackle it. Second item, crash blocks A413 road. Traffic ground to a standstill in part of West Oxfordshire following a crash during the morning. Thames Valley Police Roads Policing Team confirmed that the A413 between Winslow Road and Shipton was closed after the incident which happened on April 29th. The force shared the news on Twitter but did not give any more information about the collision. Drivers were urged to find an alternative route as the road was completely blocked. Next, an indoor skate park dream. People in Whitney have expressed excitement about the prospect of a new indoor skate park. The nearest indoor place to practice is Swindon. Writing on the Spotted Whitney Facebook page, one user asked if there would be any interest. Nearly 40 people said they would back the idea, hailing it as a great place for young people to congregate. The next item, questions for cricketer. Cricket fans will be able to question a World Cup winner while raising money. An online Q&A session will be held with Chris Wokes with funds going towards special effect. Joining the cricketer on May 19th will be rugby commentator Mike Harrison. Questions in advance can be emailed to nick at specialeffects.org.uk by 5pm on May 14th. The evening will start at 7.30pm with two ticket options a standard £10 ticket or a £20 plus delivery charge beer package with eight beers from the Witchwood Brewery. Finally, there's a warning of a bank scam. Police have warned of a new bank scam. PCSO Ahmed Mohammed of Cowley Police Station said bogus texts were being sent by fraudsters. The messages say a payment was attempted from a new device. If this was not you, please visit, and then it gives a link. He said, do not click the link. This headline reads, Bargains from Police eBay Shop Come Back. Thames Valley Police is back on eBay and is offering some designer steals. The force closed its own online shop when the country was put back into lockdown in January. But when non-essential retailers were given the green light to reopen, the force started listing all its treasures for 99p. This week, 36 weird and wonderful items are being sold in the online store, which is used to sell old evidence and unclaimed lost property and recovered items. Some of the items have been stolen and seized by officers or handed in at police stations. Officers hold the items for a while before making the decision to give them away, bin them or sell them. Some end up on eBay with proceeds put into the Police Property Act Fund. Money is divided between good causes in Oxfordshire, Buckinghamshire and Berkshire by the Police and Crime Commissioner. Lots on the site at a starting price of 99p, but buyers battle with bids. Closing prices can be a fraction of the retail price. Winners must collect everything in person from the police headquarters in Milton Keynes. This is a headline that says, Town's Victorian Police Base Gets Set for Home Conversion. A former police station is set to be converted into housing after final details were confirmed. Chipping Norton Police Station has been vacant since June 2019 when it was sold at auction. The sale was part of a larger programme by Thames Valley Police to reduce costs and improve efficiency by consolidating its operations and disposing of police stations. Now the former Banbury Road base on the edge of the town centre, which opened in 1865, is set to be converted into houses and flats. The station and outbuilding will become three houses and four flats. A single house will also be built. Proposals came up as delegated item at a recent West Oxfordshire District Council meeting. Property developments read, In brief, 
The proposals are to convert the former station and outbuildings to residential use for seven dwellings to construct an additional dwelling for a total of eight. Chipping Norton Parish Council had no objections to the plans. The consultee comment it offered WODC said the proposal is to be welcomed. If more parking is made available. Meanwhile, three letters of support were submitted. One of those letters said developers could recognise the history of the building by keeping one of the windows, creating a statue or memorial, or even seeking a blue plaque. News of the police station conversion comes after it was revealed the front counter at Whitney Police Station is among three in Oxfordshire which are set to permanently close. The Welchway counter joins those in Bicester and Kidlington which will shut from August the 30th. These have been closed since March 2020 due to COVID-19 with the exception of Kidlington which reopened following initial closure. Commenting on the changes, which was subject to a public consultation, Thames Valley Police said, Thames Valley Police is adapting to the different ways people now wish to make contact with us to ensure we continue to meet the changing needs of the diverse communities we serve. These changes do not affect police officer numbers nor the number of operational police bases so you will not experience any difference in the ongoing commitment we have to visible policing in our Thames Valley communities. There will continue to be good geographic coverage of front counters across the Thames Valley if you need to access one. Front counters at Oxford, Abingdon and Banbury will be retained, but there may be changes to opening hours. Thames Valley Police reported... More and more people contacting the force online and by phone. Non-emergency incidents, antisocial behaviour and applying for firearms licensing can all be reported online. Next headline, Charity Challenge Gearing Up for Finale. A charity challenge is to return next year, but with organisers saying it will be the final one. Established in 2016, the Twin Town Challenge sees Whitney motorists travel to Twin Town Le Touquet in northern France. Teams buy a car for £500 or less and jazz it up however they like before making the journey. On April the 29th, 2022, a fleet of cars will leave Blenheim Palace with the aim of raising as much as possible. Once in France, there will be a series of challenges in aid of Chalry-based special effect. Organiser Brendan Cross said, We are delighted that all our sponsors and teams have waited another two years to take part in this amazing spectacle. This is the final ever Twin Town Challenge, and the more cars that participate, the more likely it is that we will hit our fundraising target for special effect of over £1 million. 50 additional places have been made available for the event, which will come to an end when the cars return to Blenheim Palace on May the 2nd. Car decoration and fancy dress will be on a Battle of the Bands theme. Mr Cross said, We're looking forward to seeing people dressed as ABBA, village people, Spice Girls and Queen, driving around northern France in London taxis and stretch limos as well as more ordinary vehicles specially decorated for the event. Highlights will include a street party with bands and a day at the Abbeville Circuit. Since the inaugural Twin Town Challenge in 2016, £800,000 has been raised for special effect. It is that drive that many participants enjoy most. Everyone feels like they're part of an amazing cause, special effect and that inclusivity is precisely what special effect offers to people of any age who might otherwise feel that they are unable to enjoy gaming with their mates or even change tv channel by themselves special effect helps the lives of people with physical disabilities by enabling them to play video games despite the restrictions imposed by the pandemic it has been business as usual for special effect 
with specialist assessment teams switching from face-to-face visits with people throughout the UK to remote support. The Twin Town Challenge for this year and 2020 was cancelled due to the coronavirus pandemic. Only two of the original 100 teams have been forced to pull out of the event next year. And now we have an article from TNF Soundings about Partially Sighted AIDS Society. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Anne. This information comes from the Partially Sighted Society regarding some useful items that you can use to alert others to your sight loss. Sight loss is often a hidden disability with no outward sign of any impairment. Now we're all able to venture out and about again, visual impairment, lanyards, armbands and badges can be helpful in identifying to others a sight impairment. Many people with sight loss have found wearing a lanyard that states visually impaired, I cannot see to socially distance, especially helpful during this past year. If you would like more information or a free catalogue describing all our helpful items, please give our friendly team a call on 01302 965 195. That's 01302 965 195 or email reception at partsite.org.uk or visit our website and online shop at tnflink.uk forward slash one zero e. That's tnflink.uk forward slash one zero e. TNF Soundings. Our next item is about the North Lee Roman Villa and will be read by Mick. Local volunteers win national award is the headline. North Lee Roman Villa volunteers have been awarded a commendation by the Heritage Alliance for outstanding voluntary work in 2020. The collective effort of our group of 25 committed local people worked to promote North Lee's villa site as a resource for well-being and education throughout the pandemic. This was judged to be a perfect example of where English heritage volunteers have made a massive difference to linking heritage sites with their community during the pandemic. During the summer, the volunteers led a series of successful open mosaic days, hosting over 1,250 visitors, which is nearly twice as many as the previous year. Visitors generously donated nearly £1,000 to benefit the site and, in spite of Covid restrictions, the team of volunteers gave over 1,000 hours of their time, including 290 on-site in 2020. For over a decade, Ecclesiastical's Heritage Heroes Awards have celebrated the wonderful contribution of volunteers in the heritage sector. More than a simple thank you, These awards are a great opportunity to demonstrate how volunteers can take ownership of the heritage around them and make a real difference. And now it's quiz time. First of all, we have the answers to last week's quiz, which was set by Peter. The first question was, the name of which European capital is derived from the names of two towns on either banks of its main river? And the answer is Budapest. Which English cathedral has the tallest spire? And the answer is Salisbury. Question three. Which name is given to the home of a badger? And the answer is Set. Question four. Which river flows through the city of Dublin? And the answer is the river Liffey. Question five. In which British city is the Crucible Theatre famous for hosting snooker tournaments? And the answer is Sheffield. And now we come to this week's quiz questions, which are a real mixed bag. Question one. To which country does the island of Madeira belong? Question two. 
What is the collective name for a group of pigs? Question three. What does a conchologist collect? Question four. What do does the DK stand for in the fashion label DKNY? Question five. What name is given to the triangular piece of land at the mouth, mouth of a river? And the answer to these questions will be given next week. And now it's back to Tessa again for an item about a family in plea. Family in plea to help autistic son get medication and care. A family is seeking help to get their autistic son diagnosed with a behavioural condition so that he can be treated properly. Sophie Middleton believes that her son Albert has ADHD, in brackets, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, but says the wait to get the five-year-old diagnosed on the NHS is almost five years, leaving him without appropriate medication and care. Mrs Middleton from Whitney says Albert has no communication skills and in February of last year was diagnosed with regression autism. Initially, Albert developed communication skills like other children. However, that changed almost overnight. When he was two, he was pointing, waving and clapping like all children. But then he woke up one morning and couldn't do any of that anymore, said Mrs Middleton. He's got regression autism, which means he can continue to regress and we don't know if he'll wake up and it'll happen again. He's seen numerous paediatric consultants who said he was on autism spectrum and has severe learning difficulties. If he wants to communicate with you, he'll pull on your hand and guide where he wants you to go or what he wants, but that's only with people he's very comfortable with. Albert's behaviour continued to be challenging for his parents, who sought professional advice. We saw a private occupational therapist as his behaviour was quite bad and lockdown has not helped that, said Mrs Middleton. The occupational therapist said he might have ADHD as he was running around the room and flapping about. He doesn't play but he's constantly on the go. His brain doesn't rest and he's always fidgeting. Now the Middletons are hoping a fundraiser will allow them to get a private diagnosis much quicker. The wait for a diagnosis on the NHS is about four years, so you're talking about Albert being maybe ten, which isn't fair on him, his siblings or us. The diagnosis can enable him to get medication, to help him calm down, and so we also know how to help him and how the school can help him too. It will help him be a lot calmer around his siblings and make him less boisterous. Albert attends Springfield School in Whitney, a school for children with special needs. Mrs Middleton said he likes cooking at school but doesn't like getting messy. He has to have a routine and if it changes he can't cope with that. Just over £400 of a £1,000 target has been raised. This week we're very fortunate to have a live reflection which is going to be given by David Sarbutz. Our country has been in and out of lockdown because of coronavirus since what seems like forever. The first one began on the 23rd of March 2020, but on the 16th of March we had been advised to stop all non-essential contact and travel. We have not seen, like so many others, some members of our family since February last year. Now with the help of the vaccination programme, the magnificent work of the NHS and other key workers, but above all, the fortitude and resolve of the British people, there is hope and anticipation that a return to some form of normal life is imminent. It has been a long, hard slog in many different ways for so many people. My wife and I are avid walkers, and in 2017 we took part in the London Marathon. That was also a long slog. 
and since March 2020, we have walked every day and completed the equivalent of over 70 marathons. We've battled through rain, hailstorms, strong winds and snow, blazing heat and biting cold. But we have carried on, taking one step at a time. Anyone who walks must wear the correct footwear and clothing for the conditions. It would be no good, for instance, walking in slippers up Everest, so walking boots are a necessity. Each pair of boots or shoes is perfectly suited for the right task, as is the right clothing, especially wet weather gear in this country. I have just read a book called The Salt Path by Rainer Wynne. It is a story of a couple who have lost everything, including their home and their jobs, and so they decided to walk the 630 miles which make up the southwest coast path. But before they could begin the work, the walk, their world was turned upside down when Raina's husband was diagnosed with a life-limiting illness. They debated long and hard whether they should continue with their planned walk through Somerset, Devon, Cornwall and Dorset. Yet despite the worries, they decided to go ahead. They used what little money they had to buy various items of camping equipment, clothing and boots they would need. But sadly these generally proved totally inadequate for the autumn and winter storms they battled through. The walk was a tough one, and on some days they survived on little or no food. Their income consisted of meagre state benefits to which they were entitled, and on a number of occasions they became bin-dippers, scavenging for scraps of food. They met some incredible people as they walked, and thanks to the amazing generosity of so many of them, they kept moving forward one agonising step at a time, when so often all they craved for was to rest and recuperate. They were not deterred, but persevered and completed the walk, although it took them far longer than the couple of months they had anticipated. The various lockdowns we have experienced have caused many people to reflect and also find new ways of going on with their lives. All of us do need different abilities to do different things at various stages in our lives. Those of us who have a faith know that we have a God who loves not just us, but all people, and we can trust him. We need grace and patience to keep going when things are difficult. But God has given us a promise that he will be with us in every circumstance of life, although he has never promised that we will be given an easy life. So whatever life throws at us, we can always trust God to give us the right pair of shoes when we need them. Thank you very much for that reflection, David. And our next story is about the presentation of a sword to the RAF, and it's going to be read by Mick. The headline is RAF Bryce Norton awarded sword for cyclone and rescue work. The base has received the Fermin Sword of Peace after it was deemed to have made the most valuable contribution to humanitarian activities of all RAF bases. The award comes following work in 2019 which saw support during national disasters as well as in the local community. In particular, Bryce Norton was recognised for its work in Africa in the wake of Cyclone Ida. The conduct of a search and rescue operations in the South Atlantic and the recovery of British nationals with suspected Lassa fever from Sierra Leone. Group Captain Emily Flynn, Station Commander at Bryce Norton, said the award of the 2019 Fermin Sword of Peace to RAF Bryce Norton is a phenomenal achievement which captures and recognises the broad spectrum of output delivered on a daily basis by personnel based here, both in support of our global taskings and outside the wire in support of local communities and many charities. I am humbled by the amount our personnel continue to give to the Royal Air Force and beyond. 
It is wonderful to see the station recognised in this way. During 2019, the station got involved with various programmes and activities in the local community, for example through its careers and outreach team and the John Egging Trust. Many personnel have volunteered for other local organisations, taking part in fundraising challenges. In total, more than £166,000 was raised for 18 separate charities. Group Captain Simon Blackwell, Air Wing Commander at RF Bryce Norton, added, The award of the Fermin Sorted Piece is a fantastic reward for the outstanding work, commitment and attitude of the whole force personnel here at RAF Bryce Norton. Flight Lieutenant Ben Burton, RAF Bryce Norton's Flight Safety Officer, was presented with the sword at a special ceremony at Bryce Norton last month. It was handed over to him by the RAF's Chief of the Air Staff, Mike Wigston. Established in 1966, the award was originally known as the Wilkinson Sword of Peace. When Wilkinson stopped the production of swords in 2005, military uniform suppliers Furman and Sons began sponsoring the award. A ceremonial sword is presented to one unit each year from the Royal Navy's Army and Royal Navy, Army, Royal Navy and Air Force. Next headline, West Oxfordshire residents to get improved waste service experience. Residents in West Oxfordshire will soon see a more efficient and effective waste collection service following a decision by West Oxfordshire District Council's Cabinet to invest up to £140,000 in a new in-cab technology system. The specialist software system will be retrofitted to the Council's entire fleet of refuse, recycling, food and garden waste vehicles and will help reduce the number of collections being missed as well as reducing the fuel used and cutting vehicle carbon emissions. Greater efficiencies in service delivery will bring projected annual savings of £50,000 per year from the Council's contract with its waste service delivery partner, Ubico. A West Oxfordshire District Council spokesperson said... We will be working with Ubico to implement the in-cab system across our waste collection fleet, which will go live later this year. The project is just one example of how we are working in partnership to ensure our waste services are fit for the future and how innovation can better the customer experience. Crews will be able to record problems as soon as they encounter them, and this information will be relayed back in near real time to both Ubico and the Council's customer services team. The waste sector is still recognised as a high-risk industry, and the in-cab system will make collecting safer too. Locations near to schools where extra precautions must be taken and potential hazards, such as blind corners or low bridges, can be easily added to the collection schedule information, making the working day safer for crews, pedestrians and road users alike. Utilising GPS technology, the new system will enable crews to follow a map of their collection routes, reducing the need for local knowledge and allowing drivers unfamiliar with the area to complete the round without unnecessary delays or disruption to the householder. Issues encountered whilst on the round include reasons for why a collection has not been able to take place, can be logged directly against individual properties and any special collection requirements flagged in advance of the crew's arrival. With 45% of all district council CO2 emissions generated from vehicle fleet and transportation, the new in-cab system should bring environmental benefits through the better routing of rounds and crews being able to return for missed bins while still working in the local vicinity, resulting in fewer miles needing to be travelled. The anticipated CO2 savings will contribute to the Council's declaration to reach a carbon-neutral target by 2030. And now it's time for our notice board. Now, there are no birthdays to uh, record this week, but we do have two deaths, sadly. The first one is Dan Ball of Whitney, 
who died at the age of 51 on the 17th of April. And the second one was Alma Steele, who died at Burford Nursing Home on the 29th of April, aged 95 years. Radio listings for the coming week will be at the end of this programme. As well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week, there are several other ways you can listen to all our editions, including magazines, and these include Sonata Plus, email, internet, podcast and Alexa. Full details can be seen on our website at wtn.org.uk and just follow the link Listen Live. And now after that, we come to our last story, which is one I'm sure that you've all been dying to hear. It's about the Beckhams. And Mick is going to read this. Yes, the Beckhams are heading back to Chippy with their kids. Celebrity power couple David and Victoria Beckham have moved back to their £6 million Chipping Norton home. The pair, along with their youngest children, Romeo, Cruz and Harper, spent the last four months in Miami, with speculation mounting that they would make a permanent move to the USA. But their American millionaire lifestyle was no match for the Cotswold countryside, where they have a Grade 2 listed converted barn which boasts a newly created lake. The Chipping Norton property also has a huge football pitch with spectator stand and an outdoor pool and a large garage plus a sauna and a wine cellar. It is near Members Club Soho Farmhouse and a country retreat once rented by Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Celebrating his return to the UK, David Beckham posted a picture of himself on Instagram posing with two of his three dogs named Sage, Fig and Olive, which had been left behind during the move. He captioned it, So nice to be back with these two. Olive was playing hard to get, didn't really want to cuddle just yet. The Beckhams also have a £31 million mansion in London and a £19 million penthouse in Florida. I'm sure your lives are enriched all the more for hearing that story. Well, that's all that we have time for this week. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. Please do so as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and then are unable to continue our service to you. If you wish to contact us, simply put a slip of paper in your pouch and we will then phone you. It only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette and the Hanborough Herald for the stories we have used tonight. Thanks also to our technical expert, Rob Oxpring, our copiers Ian Rose and Mike Herbert, who are copying uh, our memory sticks for us, and volunteers have been waiting to do that. The volunteers have also been checking the pouches and memory sticks that you've been returning to us and keeping records in our register. Finally, our readers this evening, Mike Walsh and Tessa Caddy, And stay listening for radio listings for the coming week. And I know that everyone would like to say goodbye. And so, until our next edition, goodbye. Goodbye. NF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights. And starting with Saturday, May 8th. The Saturday drama on Radio 4 at 2pm is Politics, Philosophy and Economics, a satire by Mark Lawson. You may think PPE has another connotation in these times of Covid. Opera on 3 at 6.30 is Rolsaka by Vorjak, starring René Fleming. For an evening of classic comedy, go to Radio 4 Extra at 7pm, where in Somebody Laughed, you'll find such delights as the Morecambe and Wise show and the Ken Dodge show, amongst others. David Mellor's Melodies at 9pm on Classic FM features listeners' suggestions and ideas. Sunday, May 9th, 
three dramas and a varied selection of music on offer. If you heard part one of Stoppard's Rosencrantz and Gilderstern are dead last Sunday, you won't want to miss the conclusion at three o'clock on Radio 4. The theme of this week's Words and Music on Radio 3 at 5.30 is Nature and the City, in which urban green spaces and wildlife are celebrated. In Burning Eniad at 8pm on Radio 4 Extra, the poet Virgil asks for his works to be burnt after his death, causing a furore. Sunday night is Music Night on Radio 2 at 7pm. Ed Balls indulges his musical love in a special concert with musical theatre stars performing stage hits. Followed at 9pm by Seth Wakeman's folk map of the British Isles, the singer and fiddle player starts his musical journey in Scotland. Alternatively, also at 9pm on Classic FM, Music for Monarchy with Debbie Wiseman features instruments from royal collections with music by Handel, Chopin and others. Onto the programmes then that are serialised from Monday to Friday. Same radio station at the same time every day of the week, Monday to Friday. The Book of the Week on Radio 4 at 9.45am and then repeated at half past midnight is Other Minds, The Octopus and the Evolution of Intelligent Life. Sounds unlikely, but promises to be amazing. Nagat Munchetti has the 10am slot on Radio 5 Live from Monday to Wednesday with Adrian Charles taking over for Thursday and Friday. News, interviews and listeners' experiences through to one. Hardy's Women, The Woodlanders, continues from last week at 10.45 on Radio 4 and is repeated at 7.45 each night. The composer of the week on Radio 3 at noon is Robert Schumann. Lean Fall Stand at just after midday, every day, Monday to Friday on Radio 4 and repeated at 10.45 in the evening continues from last week. And in Questions Answered at 1.45 on Radio 4, Chris Mason and Anita Anand meet callers to any questions to see how they found the experience. The sixth and final series of the crime thriller, The Corrupted, can be heard on Radio 4, Monday to Thursday at 2pm, and it will be continued next week. And the Classic FM concert with John Suchet is at 8pm this week, the classical music alphabet, from Albanoni to Zipoli. On to the rest of the shows, then, that you might want to listen to Monday to Friday, starting with Monday, May 10th. Round 10 of 12 in Round Britain Quiz at 3 o'clock on Radio 4. Beyond Belief at 4.30 on Radio 4 explores the misunderstood religion of voodoo. The subject of this week's Crossing Continents at 8.30pm on Radio 4 is Myanmar, the Spring Revolution when it's revealed how three people have been documenting the brutality of the military coup there. The Blue Show with Keris Matthews is at 9pm on Radio 2, and if you missed last week's word of mouth, it's repeated at 11pm on Radio 4. Michael Rosen talks with the speech and language therapists who helped him recover from COVID-19. On to Tuesday, May 11th, when you can hear the final word of mouth in the current series... Michael talks to the author of Because Internet about how fandom is creating a whole new language. Comedy at 6.30 on Radio 4 with a new series of Alex Edelman's Peer Group. To Radio 4 Extra at 7, The Goon Show and King Street Junior at 7.30. The Jazz Show with Jamie Cullum is at 9 on Radio 2. For followers of The Archers, this week's All in the Mind hears from fans about the emotional pull of the storyline concerning Alice's depression and alcoholism. It's on Radio 4 at 9pm on Tuesday. Wednesday, May 12th, takes us on a visit to Linton and Lynmouth when Mark Steele's in town at 11.30 on Radio 4. Thinking Aloud at 4pm on Radio 4 looks at the history of blackface and minstrels and discusses the origins of the black and white minstrel show. The Delights of Hancock's Half Hour are on offer at 7pm on Radio 4 Extra, followed at 7.30 by No Commitments. The Radio 3 concert at 7.30 has two Haydn symphonies and Mozart's Piano Concerto No. 23. The Folk Show with Mark Radcliffe is at 9 o'clock on Radio 2. And 9 o'clock, Radio 4 Extra, I think I've mentioned this for the last two or three weeks, the inimitable P.G. Woodhouse, celebrated by Alexander Armstrong, with his characters brought to life by Michael 
Horden, Richard Briers and Simon Cadell. Music pretty much dominates on Thursday, May 13th. In a Life in Music at 11.30am on Radio 4, a music journalist speaks to musicians, psychologists and neuroscientists about how fundamental music is at each stage of our lives. The opera matinee on Radio 3 at 2pm is Monteverdi's The Return of Ulysses, a royal opera production staged at the Roundhouse. In the open air at 3 o'clock on Radio 4, when Ramblings takes us on a trip to the Peak District with Claire Balding. Great Lives at 6.30 on Radio 4 Extra looks at the life of Neville Chamberlain, followed at 7pm by I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again. A rather different concert at 7.30 on Radio 3, leading musicians from all genres were invited to create music inspired by the Baroque and Latin America, Kubarok. While in folk Baroque, the musicians celebrate the huge role folk and dance has played in European art music. Finally, for Thursday, on Radio 2, the country show, Bob Harris, 9pm. Into the final day of the week, May 14th, Friday, May 14th. And it's a fair cop at 11.30am on Radio 4. XPC turned comedian Alfie Moore talks about the police role in sudden deaths. Going on pass form, he'll probably make the subject both humorous and informative. Talawa Theatre are marking their 35th anniversary with a selection of radio plays. This week, NSA, starring Don Gillet, is at 2.15 on Radio 4. It's also interesting to hear other people's opinions on the week's programmes, and you can hear that on Feedback at 4.30 on Radio 4. Tony Blackburn has The Golden Hour at 7pm on Radio 2, with an eclectic mix of pop and soul oldies, and no doubt some bad jokes. The Radio 3 concert at 7.30 has works by Prokofiev, Ravel, Mozart and Haydn. And Meeting Myself Coming Back this week has Dame Kelly Holmes reliving key moments from her life and career as she battled injury and self-harm while she trained for the Atlanta Olympics and her involvement in bringing the 2012 Olympics to London. May I wish you, as ever, a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. TNF Soundings 